pastor here at Wallenstein Bible Chapel. If you're new here today, we have these welcome cards, hopefully in the pew in front of you. If this is your first time here, we'd love for you to fill that out and uh, take it to the welcome desk, which is just out through those doors. And there's also an opportunity for you, if you want more information about our church, you can fill in uh, the back of that as well. Today we begin a new series on the names of God. And uh, we're going to start today in Genesis 22. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles. We're going to start there today. A little bit out of order, but because we wanted to make today uh, a communion-centered Sunday, we thought this passage would be a good place to start. So I'm going to ask Isaac to come, and he's going to read this incredible story for us, Genesis 22, verses 1 to 14. I want you to listen and feel the emotion uh, of this story as Isaac reads it for you. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took him with two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham put an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Amen. Thank you, Isaac. The Lord Will Provide. This is the name that we have often heard of as Jehovah Jireh, we're going to call it Yahweh Jireh, the Lord provides. Some of you are very familiar with the story, some of us learned this story on the flannel graph in Sunday school decades ago. Uh, Some of you maybe have never heard this story before, and if that's true of you, then perhaps you are already shocked at what we have heard as we read this story. This story Uh, contains elements that tend to pull at all of our human emotions. And I want want us to feel that today as we go through the elements of this story. And there's three different aspects that I want us to consider this morning. First, I want us to think about God. And of course, this is a names of God study. 
So when we hear uh, Abraham naming God Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord provides, he's, he's teaching us something about God. We're learning something crucial about God that can help us in our own lives and in our worship of him. So we want to take some time to learn about God. Then I want us to take a few moments and think about Abraham and his response to this request, this test that God places upon him. And then, of course, we want to take some time to think about the cross of Jesus and how this story reminds us of that ultimate story of Jesus laying down his life at the cross. So let's go back to verse 1, and we'll begin with our first concern here, and that is that we would learn something about God. And aside from his name, the first thing that I want us to see here from verse 1 is this, that God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. It's important for us to recognize that this is our God. And God doesn't just test Abraham, God tests me. And he will test you. In fact, he's been testing humanity from the very beginning. Even before humanity sinned, do you realize that God had placed a test before them in the Garden of Eden? What was the test? Well, along with all of the wonderful fruit and vegetables, all the things that God had placed in the garden for them to eat, there were two trees, prominent trees, one the tree of life, the other the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember this from Genesis chapter 2? God says, you can eat from any tree, but not that one, which raises the question for me, why did you put it there, God? Why did you bother putting the tree there? Couldn't we have solved a lot of problems by just not having the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? And of course, God's answer to that, no, that was the most important tree. Because God was testing Adam and Eve, and it's an ultimate test. It's a test that every one of us have to experience and have to face in our lives. And what is the test that God is ultimately bringing to Abraham, bringing to Adam and Eve, and ultimately to all of us, what is the test? What is he looking to, to see in our lives? And of course, the answer is described throughout Scripture, and that is this ultimate attitude, this ultimate response of faith. God is looking to see whether we trust him with our lives. Faith is more than what we hear people say in our culture in our day. I believe in God. Oh, you say that? God's going to test that to find out what you actually mean by that. Many people say, I believe in God, and what they say is intellectually, I believe there's a higher power, that there is a source for all that we see in this world. Do you trust him? Well, no. Do you live for him? No. Do you follow him? No, but I believe he exists. God is going to test to see the quality of our faith. He's not looking for a world of people who will intellectually agree that he's out there somewhere. He's looking for a family of people who will say, he's my God, and I trust him and I follow him. Now, in the story of Abraham, we've already seen some amazing things, and we've already seen and read about Abraham Abraham trusting God and believing God. I believe it's chapter 15 that tells us that Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. It's the first place in all of the Bible where we see that transaction taking place. The faith of a man, a faith in God, trusting God, 
And in turn, for that faith, God places his own righteousness upon that person. Do you realize that's what we all desperately need? The only way we can stand in the presence of God, the only way we can live in the presence of God, the only way we could ever go to heaven, so to speak, is to be righteous like God. And the only way we can ever become righteous like God is if he makes us righteous. And the only way he will make us righteous, according to God's word, is if we believe, if we trust him, if we have faith in him. But wasn't this an ultimate test for Abraham? Can you imagine being asked this of God? Take your son, your only son, offer him as a burnt offering. Can you imagine what this was like for Abraham? And there's so much to this. The son that God's talking about here is the son Isaac. If you go back to chapter 12, it's where God had first promised Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation. Abraham was going to have children. There was going to be offspring. There was going to be generation after generation. There was going to be a myriad of people who would come from his own seed. And Abraham waited decades. He already was an old man. His wife already was beyond the years of childbirth. And yet God kept saying it. No, it's going to happen, Abraham. It's going to happen, I promise you. And in chapter 21, it finally happened that Isaac was born. Abraham was 100 years old. His wife Sarah was 90. How would you like to do labor at 90? Well, that's what happened to Abraham and Sarah. The promised child had finally come. God was keeping his promise and then suddenly turns and tells Abraham to take that promised child and kill him. This was a test above all tests. Now, I hope that this is abhorrent to us, is it not? This idea of sacrifice, and it's amazing to think that God would ask this of anyone, but if your reaction to this is to feel sick to your stomach, even to feel maybe angry that God would ask this? That's exactly how you should feel. Because later in Scripture, we find out exactly how God feels about child sacrifice. It was written into the law. Child sacrifice was common in the nations around Israel. It was one of the reasons why God had his people go into the promised land and bring judgment on those nations as they conquered it was because these nations killed their children in sacrifices to their gods. Deuteronomy 12 tells us how God feels about that. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. Well, I'm so glad to know that God hates this. There's actually been some archaeological discoveries even recently where the bones of babies have been found in jars which have been assumed to have been burned as offerings to false gods. How could God, who in his law says he hates this child sacrifice, turn to this man who he will later call the father of all of faith, and ask him to do this very thing. This was an ultimate test. Comes down to the question, Abraham, do you trust me? 
Abraham, have you surrendered to me? Now, if we skip ahead, and maybe you notice at the very end of the story, some of you know how the story, well, we all know how the story ends up now. But in verse 12, when Abraham was about to go all the way through with this outrageous request, God stops him, and he says, Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. You see, there's kind of two sides to this response, this thing that God is looking for from each one of us, and we can summarize it with the word faith. But this idea of fearing God is so closely tied to it. That's why this is so much more than, yeah, I believe in God, kind of an intellectual kind of faith. It's a faith that's mixed with fear and reverence. So God praised the faith of Abraham and he said, now I know that you fear me. Well, didn't God already know that Abraham feared him? Why do you have to go through with this? Well, now we know. You see, the story of what Abraham does, uh, did here, brings tremendous glory to God and there's a number of reasons and a number of layers for that. But the fact that we get to see the fear of Abraham towards God, that he would trust him all the way, that he would surrender to him all the way, demonstrates for us the kind of faith that God is looking for in us. That's why we understand that the faith that saves us in Christianity is a faith that surrenders to Christ, that chooses to follow him, not just to intellectually say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but to follow him with our lives, to surrender our lives to him. That is what God is looking for, and God will test us. So I wonder how many people in the room here this morning are going through a test. No doubt many of you are. And what is God doing in these tests? There's a number of things when God tests us. One of the things that happens is for the person who really thinks that they, they're trusting God or they, maybe they prayed a prayer earlier in their life, but the test comes along and it demonstrates that, no, you don't, you're not trusting God at all. You haven't surrendered your life to God because as soon as something hard has come into your life, you get angry and you say, well, I don't want to follow God if it's going to be like this. That's a wonderful gift from God. When God tests you in that way and he reveals the lack of faith in your heart, that's a gift. And from that point and from that moment, we can, uh, by God's grace, we can turn back to him and realize, no, I need to trust God with my whole life. Sometimes God tests us and the test is kind of like this story. Other people look at your life and marvel. Marvel at your faith, marvel at the surrender of your life to God, and they see the goodness of God as they watch you trust him even in your suffering. God will test you. I want us to think about Abraham and his side of the story. God's side was that he tested him. Abraham's side was that he trusted God. It's incredible in the story to me that we don't see any objection. There's no arguing with God. And one of the reasons that's surprising is because there had been arguing with God. When God had said, well, Abraham, you're going to have a child, Abraham said, prove it. He hasn't come yet. How can I really believe what you're saying? They end up doing this covenant ceremony. God 
trying to convince Abraham he's going to keep his promises. Then there was the discussion about Sodom and Gomorrah and should God really destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And there's Abraham arguing with God and wouldn't you spare it for ten people? Abraham knew what it was. And by the way, the Bible gives us permission to have those kinds of discussions with God. Abraham had had them, but not in this story. And we don't know if it was omitted or if it just didn't happen. I think because it's not there, we assume that in this case, in this story, Abraham's reaction, his response to God, in spite of how gut-wrenching this must have been, it seems from the story, was just immediate and total obedience. That's all we see. Some people say, oh yeah, well notice verse 3, he got up early in the morning, that's because he couldn't sleep. Yeah, well, maybe. But there was no hesitation. He cut the wood, he loaded the donkey, he got his servants, took the boy, and he went. What's cool about this story is the rest of the Bible later, much later, gives us some insight about what Abraham was thinking. Hebrews 11, the chapter that uh, praises the faith of Old Testament saints, speaks of Abraham and says that when God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And notice this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. You see, we, we get the answer. All these years later, all these chapters later, the Bible tells us what Abraham was thinking. It doesn't mean that he enjoyed it. Doesn't mean he relished the idea that he had to kill his own son. But the faith that was driving him forward in obedience was this faith that God had promised it was going to be Isaac that, that would produce this great nation. It will still be Isaac, even if God has to resurrect him off the altar. And so he went. That is astounding faith. That is the kind of faith that I want to have, the faith of Abraham. James wrote of his faith as well in his book. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? His faith was made complete by what he did. Do you see why we have to have some testing sometimes? It's faith that saves us, and God knows when the faith is genuine, and God reckons it as righteousness. But for the rest of the world who looks on, and even for us, sometimes the test is necessary to demonstrate even to ourselves that I actually really trust God no matter what. That's what Abraham did. In the conclusion of the story, God says, I know, now I know, that you fear God. Well, in the midst of these incredible details, we find something else in the story that I think is impossible to miss. And it's the fact that over and over again, as this story unfolds, we keep getting these glimpses forward towards another event where there would be a father, there would be a son, and there would be a sacrifice. Would you agree it's impossible to miss these things? Think about how God speaks to Abraham. Verse 2, take your son, your only son. There's another place in the Bible, a famous place in the Bible that speaks of an only son. Do you know that verse, John three sixteen? 
And I, I can't help but hear the echoes of this in my mind. Now, by the way, one of the things that is, is hard about this chapter is that Isaac literally was not Abraham's only son. Do you remember Ishmael? And it's another gut-wrenching part of the story that in the previous chapter, after Isaac was born and after Ishmael was mocking his little brother, that Sarah came to Abraham and said, get that woman and that boy out of my house. It tells us in that chapter that Abraham was deeply concerned about this, and yet somehow God says to him, it's okay. And Hagar and Ishmael are sent away, and Abraham puts them on a donkey and gives them some water, and Ishmael almost dies, except that God comes along and shows Hagar well and spares his life. And you see, the event that's going to look forward from this event, the one who would ultimately be the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, on the cross, would be the one who would redeem back to God's family the offspring of Ishmael. But it was going to be a long road to get there. And in Abraham's mind, Isaac was the son, the only son. And that was the language that God used. Then we find the location. He says to him, go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Abraham at this time was living south of the land of Moriah. And what is the land of Moriah? Well, we have one other reference in Scripture to it, and that is this, that Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So now we know where the region, as it says in uh, Genesis 22, the region of Moriah is essentially the location of the future city of Jerusalem. So I've got this map. Generally, this map shows the topography of the city of Jerusalem, the future city of Jerusalem, which at the time of Abraham, uh, there was no city there at all. And yet God wanted the sacrifice of Isaac, the, he commanded that the sacrifice would take place here in the city, the future city of Jerusalem. Let me see if I can get this laser to work here. So you're going to see in a moment, this hill, you can, if you know topography, you know these these flat spots are the mountains. These are the tops. And this one here, as you'll see in a moment, is, is Mount Moriah. That is where Solomon would build the temple. But notice there's these other peaks. These, these all became part of, eventually part of the city of Jerusalem. This peak here is often known as Mount Zion. You've heard of that, perhaps. Why would Abraham have to take his son here? to offer the sacrifice. And of course, if you know anything about the sacrifice of Jesus, you know it happened in the same place. Let me show you the city walls at the time of Jesus. This is what it looked like on the same map. Jesus, of course, died outside of the city walls on a hill. And if I add in the, uh, the roads, because the Romans always crucified people by the roadway so that others could take warning, this is what it looked like. So I don't know if you can see on this map, if you can still see some of those peaks 
And now you begin to look at some of those peaks outside of the city wall, because one of those is probably the place where Jesus died. Calvary, Golgotha. Tradition tells us it was this one right here. Can you see that? Over that hill today is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which in the time of the Crusades, the, the Christian uh, people from the Roman Empire built a church over that site. It was believed that that was Calvary. That was the place where Jesus died. That's the temple, Mount Moriah, as described regarding Solomon's temple. So here's the question. God said, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice your son on a mountain that I will show you. Most people believe that it was Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, which of course would be completely fitting that the sacrifice would happen there in a place where there would be thousands and thousands of sacrifices that God's people would offer to him in worship, but also as atonement for their sin. But I happen to wonder if this whole map represents the region of Moriah and God said, I'm going to show you a specific peak. Is it possible that this event happened here or maybe here in one of the places where Jesus might have died? You know what? Can't know for sure. But my heart says that's what happened. God says, I want you to take your son to the same place where I'm going to take my son and we're going to foreshadow what's going to happen hundreds of years from now on the same spot in Moriah. We read on in the story, and as they get close, it was a two and a half day journey, as they get close to the place, verse four, they look up, Abraham sees the place, says to his servants, stay here with the donkey, I'll go over with the boy and worship. Notice what he says, by the way, we will worship and then we will come back to you. That's the faith of Abraham. Notice verse 6, he takes the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son. And Isaac carried the wood up the mountain, up to the location where he himself would be offered. Can you not, I mean, it's just impossible for me not to picture Jesus, who was forced to carry the wood as he went to his death and sacrifice. Abraham, of course, carried the knife and the fire, the objects of death that would soon consume his son. He carried those. Isaac carried the wood. Then we have the gut-wrenching question. In verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. And the question is, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for burnt offering? And in his faith, Abraham answers. He didn't know how God was going to work this out, but he could answer this way. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. There was a promise of a lamb. We read on in the story, they come to the place, and we read of Abraham building the altar, verse 9. He arranged the wood on it. And then it says this, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. How did he do that? 
So we don't really know how old Isaac was. The word that's used to describe him here is not child, certainly not baby, he can talk. He's old enough and strong enough to carry, I would assume, a pretty large bundle of wood. The word that's used to describe him, the boy, is actually the same word that's used to describe the servants, which suggests to us that he was not a child. And it makes me wonder what the conversation was. After the question, where's the lamb, Dad? We don't read of any further conversation, but Abraham was a hundred years older than Isaac, who may well have been in his mid-teens, could have even been into his 20s, we don't know. But somehow he ended up laying on that altar. How'd that happen? Was Abraham just a strong old man? Was Isaac kicking and screaming? Or did he lay down? Trusting his father. Trusting his father's God. Abraham, of course, goes all the way because it tells us that he reached out his hand. Notice verse 10. This means that his hand was in motion and we don't know if he was going to plunge the knife down into Isaac's heart or if he was reaching out to slit his son's throat, which would have been the common way of sacrificing a lamb. I've seen that done, by the way. And God waits till the final moment and stops him. Abraham. And these wonderful words do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering. It is a substitute lamb. What was that like for Abraham? I mean, he had great faith. He was trusting that God was going to do something. He would raise him from the dead if he needed to, but he was still going to have to go through with the most horrific, gruesome death. When I was a young man, I thought one of my greatest concerns in life was to be a man. When I was... 20 years old, the family dog needed to be put down. And I thought, I'll be a man. I'll do it. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever done in my life. And Abraham was willing to go all the way, but praise God, there was a substitute and we celebrate communion today because for every one of us, the wrath of God hung over us because we had sinned against him. But God stepped in with a substitute to take our place. I want to show you how the King James describes verse 8. When Isaac asked his father, Dad, where's the lamb? And his answer, in my version, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. I don't know if you ever, any of you read the King James. This is the way it says it there. God will provide himself a lamb. 
And that's the amazing story of the Bible. Is that hundreds of years later, Yahweh, the one who calls out to him, and did you notice the angel of the Lord in verse 11? That's God. It's called the angel of the Lord, but every time the angel of the Lord shows up in the early books of the Old Testament, it's God. And the God who calls out to Abraham and stops him and produces the substitute would ultimately become human and step onto that same rock. Possibly the same hill where the the lamb, the substitute lamb's blood spilled off of that altar, the lamb, the blood of the ultimate lamb of God would drip from his cross. Yahweh. Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and yeah, he has. In the ultimate provision in all of history, God provided himself as the ultimate substitute lamb, the only one who could rightly take the the place of all of us who've ever sinned, the, the only one who could rightly take the wrath of God for sin, and he went and did that for us. And the only question that remains is do we have the faith of Abraham? Because if we have the faith of Abraham, the Bible says that he's the father of all who believe. And if we have the faith of Abraham, then the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, his life poured out for us, is applied to us, and God says, I make you righteous, just as he made Abraham righteous. Have you believed Have you believed these words that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life? Have you received? It's available for you today. May these words resonate in our hearts.